here we go. Welcome to Give Me One Reason podcast. I am talking today with Jackson, a student here at UW-Whitewater, and he was gracious enough to visit with me and have a conversation about faith and doubt, either way that it goes. So Jackson, welcome today. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Well, um, from a school perspective or from a faith perspective? Let's start with school. Where are you at in life? Uh, I'm sitting at a junior status. Okay. Um, I'm so ready to be done and just get out into the world. Um, you I'm major? IT. Okay. Always been a tech geek. When I was 13 years old, I put together my first computer. When I was six, I took apart my first computer, which wow. scared my parents half to death. Did you get it put back together? No. They oh. had to go get someone else to do it. <laughs> Oh. I I was six. I was just thinking, ooh, what is this doing? I started pulling stuff awesome. out of it. Awesome. Uh-huh. Well, not for them. Okay, not for the, at the time, but now they look back. And yeah, now it's a funny memory we talk about. Right. Okay. So you will be graduating and you want to work in IT then. Mm-hmm. The idea is I'm of two minds right now where I want to go into the corporate world mm-hmm. and either... I'll have them pay for a master's degree for me. Mm-hmm. Smart And man. makes me infinitely more valuable to the company. Mm-hmm. I don't have to pay for it in my pocket, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have this unique opportunity where I have family members that work at Notre Dame that tell me that they can get me into their master's program. Oh, my goodness. So I'm considering taking that opportunity after I graduate. Yeah. We'll see where it goes. That's awesome. What a wonderful opportunity. Good for you. All right, Jackson. Well, as you know, the subject of this podcast is questions or conversations Mm -hmm. with millennials. And you are a millennial. How old are you? 23. 23. About issues of faith and doubt. Mm -hmm. Um, Before we get into your experience, what do you see around you, the people you hang out with, when it Mm -hmm. comes to issues of faith and doubt? Are they important issues? Is this something you talk about with your friends? Um, it doesn't come up with friends too much just because I've met, made friends from all over the place. Mm-hmm. I have a couple people, friends that are Muslim. My best friend when I lived in Arizona was Jewish. Oh, okay. I actually got to go to a Passover dinner, which is one of the most fascinating experiences oh, yeah. ever. Interesting. But, um, it's one of those wonky things to talk about because, well, we'll ask each other questions. I, I was raised Catholic. Mm-hmm. Colin was, uh, Jewish. Craig was Muslim. Well, we talk a little bit. It wasn't something we could go into significant detail about because there was kind of a divide there. Mm-hmm. But I also have a lot of friends that are atheists where the conversation doesn't even come up. Not in like a hostile, they hate religion way. Yeah. It's just something that doesn't get talked about as much as uh, if I'm around friends that are of the same or similar faith mm-hmm. as me. Interesting. Yeah, so you... Do you think your friends have a stomach, per se, for the vitriol that comes along with arguing about religion? or Like our generation does. Some of yeah. us, I'm your parents' age, kind of, <laughs> blah, right? It's really dependent on where I've lived. I mean, yeah. I grew up in Phoenix, mm-hmm. monster of a city. Yeah. City living is very different from living in Wisconsin. Yeah. Even living in Madison now, I don't consider Madison a city. I consider wow. it just a large, small town. Wow, yeah. I, if you think about it, uh, yeah. Phoenix is a few million people. Yeah. It's a pretty Phoenix different animal. Yeah. Uh, the attitude is different. Mm-hmm. It's really different. In In Phoenix, there were definitely these faith communities where I grew up, but it wasn't something that was talked about too much. Mm-hmm. 
in Wisconsin, which has an enormous either Catholic or Lutheran background, depending on where mm-hmm. you come from, just because of the German heritage, it's something I actually see a lot more. There's a church on every corner. You see mm-hmm. the steeples rising above Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's very different. Interesting. Um, what is your background, then? So, uh, like I mentioned before, I'm Catholic. I was raised Catholic. I come from where my mom's side of the family is this monstrously sized Italian family uh-huh. going back generations. Yeah. Um, gone to church every Sunday since I was a little kid. Yeah. So it's always been just kind of a part of my life. Mm-hmm. And something that I've always loved about the Catholic Mass is it's the same no matter where you go. So college was a bit of a scary experience of being away from home the first time, Mm -hmm. being on my own. And I always had this familiar ground I could fall back on. It's always nice. I could go anywhere in the world in any language, and it'll be the same thing that the entire rest of the faith is hearing. There's something comforting about that. It's like a little piece of home I get to take with me everywhere. That is really beautiful. I did not know that. So what do you mean by that? You mean like... um the priest will be saying the same homily everywhere? Oh, not the, not the, so... You mean the structure? Yeah, the, the structure... Yeah, will be familiar. The, the, um, the scriptures that are... Yeah. That, that is all planned out yeah. by the Vatican for this is the year of what we're doing. Now, in the, oh. in the middle, the priest usually takes about 10 minutes to explain the message and relate it to the crowd. And yeah. A big speech to everyone about... What is this about? And he really personalizes it. And that's unique. Okay, so wait, forgive me, I never knew this. So you mean the Vatican lays it out for a year, uh-huh. right? What the scriptures are for that week, yeah, for so a we year. Yeah, so we have three readings, two Old Testament, one New Testament. Okay, and or, so every Catholic Mass... Exactly the same. The same the readings, and this uh, it's just the priest gets to give his take or Yeah, whatever. give his take, re- relate it to everyone, tell an interesting oh. story... I yeah. did not know that. That it's is fascinating. It's really fascinating. I can see how that would mm-hmm. be helpful. Oh, yeah. In as far as not being a lot of division in the church because mm-hmm. of, like, um, in evangelicalism or non-denominational churches, you can get seven different... Yeah, I've been to them. They're really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I never knew that. I'm 54, and I never knew that. If you ever get the chance, you can go. You don't have yeah. to be Catholic to go to a Mass. yeah. Yeah, I had never, I grew up evangelical, so I, I didn't know a lot mm-hmm. about Catholics. In fact, I have a funny story to tell you about Catholics, can I? <laughs> my sons went to Catholic high school, uh-huh. and my they were in high school, and my boy Josiah was four, and mm-hmm. he was actually dying from cancer. Yeah. And you, as you know, he didn't end up dying. He came to class the other day, and he's 25. However, at the time, he was terminal, and a really sweet lady in the church, or in the school, left me a little note in the front office with a Mary squirt bottle, like Mother Jesus Mary. Yeah, yeah. And she said, my husband had a, you know, incurable disease, and he is better, and this water healed him, and I would love to share it with your son. So this is how ignorant I am about Catholicism, okay? Yeah. I said, oh, that's so sweet. And I got in the car with Josiah, who couldn't walk at the time. He was very cushioned, going from steroid use. and um, Very sweet, though. And um, I said, honey, there is a lady. Her and her husband are praying for you. They wrote you this little letter. Mm-hmm. 
and her husband had been sick and this water healed him. And Josiah said, at four years old, wow, mama, I'm thirsty, I'll drink it. So I said, okay, not seriously, it was in a squirt bottle, so why would it not be drink? My sister did so, that when she was so a little kid. It's one of I the thought, funniest stories. Okay. And I gave it to him that day. He drank the whole thing. And I really wish I would have kept the bottle because it was really thin plastic. I don't know if you've yeah, ever yeah. seen one, and it was really cool. So I didn't think another thing. A month later, she contacts me again and says, do you need more water? And I thought that was a really strange request or question because we used it up that day. And I said, oh, well, of course, that would be really sweet. You know, he drank it that day. I really appreciate you thinking of us. And she goes, oh, my God, he drank it? Did he get sick? And I said, no, why would he get sick? She goes, well, because it's from a river in France, like a fairly dirty river, but it was blessed, the river lords or whatever. Mm -hmm. And she said, nobody drinks it. It was to sprinkle on him, you know, to to, to touch him with, anoint him with that night. And I was like, oh, my gosh. That's how ignorant I was. Yeah, they they usually pull it out of river in France or something like yeah. that somewhere for something significant in the church they'll yeah. put oils into it and perfumes it's yeah. supposed to smell nice and so he during drank a special it. mass they'll like uh, they have a, it's called a sensor it's like this yeah. ball with a stick on the end that you fill with the water and you sprinkle it on the crowd it's meant to be kind of a blessing okay I I didn't know that either. I don't know the specifics of who can or can't consecrate yeah. holy water because yeah. I know there are rules beyond yeah. like for that but well, that's fascinating. So that's, isn't that kind of a funny story? My and, sister did that when she was a little kid. My mom. Well, I, here like, I was, a grown adult. Like, uh, <laughs> I must have been 34, you know? So mm-hmm. it's like crazy. I didn't know that. But, and so I laughed to this day. Wouldn't it be funny if it was the holy water he drank, you know? Hey, if but, it uh, works, it, it works. works. Right. So, it, <laughs> but, um, well, that's interesting. So your faith is important to you then. It's not just something mom and dad. It's not like I'm an American. I'm Catholic. I, yeah. It means something to you. Mm-hmm. It's been interesting trying to keep up with it now that I'm an adult. Mm-hmm. Because growing up, it's like, it's Sunday, we're going to church. It's Sunday morning, we're going to church. Mm-hmm. Now I have to be my own engine okay. to go get it. Yeah. But you're so, motivated to do that. I'm motivated to do it. And why? why? Why do you go to church? At first, it was kind of a... It's just a comforting thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's always been a part of me since I was a little kid it's almost like I don't know why I wouldn't go. That's beautiful. It's just kind of a, like a part of what I do. Okay, so we have church and we have your, your religious upbringing. Mm-hmm. What about God? Your interaction with God or belief in God? Um, do you? Could I ask? Like, pray? Do you feel a connection to God? Do you feel like He knows your name, Jackson? Do you feel like He knows where you're at? I don't pray as much as I should. Ideally, I should be praying every day, and this is what's going on. And uh, it's more of when life gets crazy. Yeah. It's some. It's something nice to fall back on. Mm-hmm. I mean, you do a lot of prayer in church. Yeah. So, <laughs> I guess yeah. that counts. Yeah. But I, it's something that I need to be better about. It's something I'd like to be better about. Do you? You? You told me you grew up in a home that served the poor and the homeless and. Mm-hmm. Um, the disabled. Um, can you want to talk about that a little bit? Do you do you think find that a good thing or? Yeah. Um, my dad was. I mean, he was involved in the military for years, and then he hopped into corporate America. And you've heard of USAA? Yeah. Yeah. He was um, an executive out in the Phoenix office, and they partnered up with a charity called Back to School Clothing Drive. Huh. And uh, he fell in love with it. 
mm-hmm. it, it um it would give school supplies, clothes, yeah. shoes, everything like that to uh, at-risk kids in the Phoenix area. Yeah. Served hundreds every week, and they would do like a big Walmart setup, huh. where it was like a store, and you'd walk the kid through and get them completely decked out with clothes, school supplies, everything they would need for the school year. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, he, we, I remember we volunteered with them mm-hmm. back when I was six or seven years old. And he eventually sat on their board, and eventually he ran the whole thing mm-hmm. before we ended up moving out here. And what does he do now? He is the head of Catholic Charities for the Diocese of Madison. That's beautiful. Is USAA, what is that? US. It's, oh, I don't remember what it stands for. It is banking, insurance, and other similar oh, okay. things for mostly military. They cater okay, to military right. or retired military, but yeah. I think these days anyone can get into it. Yeah, I, I haven't followed them too closely. He He's not with them anymore. He retired. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, okay. That's that's amazing. I know my children grew up with us being working with homeless and addicted, mm-hmm. and they would say, I think, pretty much across the board that it really enriched their life and yeah. um, was colorful and and it gave them a sense of who they are in the world. And, yeah. yeah. I mean, coming out here was a totally different animal from back to school. Mm-hmm. Back to school clothing drive is a very small fish compared mm-hmm. to the charitable arm of the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. His very first project, I'll never forget the look on his face when he came home. He looked like a kid on Christmas. Like, I can't believe I get to do this. He goes, they just handed me a whole lot of money and they want me to buy an autism school. Oh. That's beautiful. Yeah, so going from, I mean, and serving the kids in Phoenix is great, but going from that to mm-hmm. go buy an autism school, that's your first project you're doing. It makes so much of a difference yeah. in the world. It's that's, a much bigger impact. I do appreciate that about Catholics. Their focus of show us your faith. Mm-hmm. You know, show us. You believe, show us who you are. Show us by your charity in general. I've seen that in some writers that I've loved. And um, one man, Henry Nowen, have you ever heard of Henry Nowen? He's a Catholic writer, and he was a priest. He's died. He's died now, but he was pretty big in the college circuit. Like kids have liked him, and he could have spent the end of his life, kind of a rock starish priest, you know. Yeah. But instead, he took care of one severely disabled quadriplegic man, um, day in day out, until I believe he passed. He wrote books, wow. but he could have had a different life, but he chose to be remembered that way, and it was. Really beautiful, you know, and of course Mother Teresa and all that stuff. Yeah. So, do you find? Could you tell me percentage percentage of your friends that are believers versus like atheists? Now, believers is in just Christians or anyone um, who's I guess has, has a religious has a faith, a religious faith, or believes in a higher power. Yeah. Um. Sixty percent. Do believe? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So do you, which is way higher than like my uh, age group, I would argue, as far as talks about it. Like when I was in high school, or, yeah. or I would never went to college in my young days, in my 20s, I, um, I don't think I knew anybody that didn't believe in God. Mm-hmm. And actually until probably the last 10 years, I didn't know anybody that didn't believe in God. Um, which I find interesting. Yeah. Um, your percentage is higher than some of the 
people I talk to, which is interesting I think as it's well. Just because of some of the people I hang out yeah, with. Yeah, that's that's awesome. But um, can you tell me what you think some of the hindrances are? Why why millennials don't believe in God if they don't? Why some of them don't? So I heard an interesting theory about this about a year ago. Okay. And uh, it goes into the nature of the church within a community, mm. where if you go back thirty years ago. And so start from 30 years ago and keep going backwards. The church was the center of the community. I mean, beyond being somewhere everyone would go to on Sunday, a lot of times it was the school. Mm-hmm. In a lot of places, mm-hmm. it provided health care. Mm-hmm. I mean, a large amount That's of true. hospitals in uh, the U.S. are run by churches That's so true. to this day. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and there was a, something called a parish nurse, I remember. It was yeah. like a, yeah. Mm-hmm. But especially the education aspect, that was such mm-hmm. a big thing. It was a community center. You, would, mm-hmm. uh, you, of course, would have weddings there because a lot of times that was the only place that you would go to get married. Mm-hmm. Even at the courthouse, a lot of times the only person in town who would be able to perform a marriage besides a judge who's a busy individual would be a member of the clergy. Mm-hmm. So they were such these community centers, and as time went on, uh, the need for why people would go to the church beyond going to the church for church to worship mm-hmm. started going away. I mean, the education aspect, the healthcare aspect. Interesting. And that's not necessarily a bad thing mm-hmm. because you have these huge hospitals that can do these amazing things mm-hmm. now that um, are backed by government or other places that could accomplish things that mm-hmm. a church never would be able to. Mm-hmm. And that's awesome. But it's taken away this community aspect that mm-hmm. the church isn't the center of the community anymore. Yeah. And it's hard to pinpoint down why. Yeah. Whether it's changing attitudes or something like that. But you can pick a point in time, mm-hmm. go back hundreds of years, and it was the same story. Mm-hmm. It's true, Jackson. Very interesting. That is. So do you feel your friends, have you ever listened to people, like say the atheist friends you have, Mm-hmm. Um, why do they think it would be? Do you have any that think it's ridiculous to believe in God? That it's a fairy tale? That it makes no sense? Uh, I think a vast majority of my friends would describe themselves as more agnostic, as in I don't know, mm-hmm. versus pure atheist. Mm-hmm. I know for sure there's nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no clue how much of that is that they're just being nice around me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because well, I don't wear being Catholic on my sleeve people know who my dad is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or um, I'll wear a cross around my neck mm-hmm. or this thing which is a bit of a different story but tell me the story what is okay. it first of all describe so it. for those who can't see it's a tiny golden horn it looks like a horn and this is going to be like some old school immigrant to the U.S. stuff. Yeah. It's an Italian tradition. The idea is in certain places in northern Italy, which is where my family is from, when a boy becomes a man and leaves the house, he's given this horn. Mm-hmm. And it usually gets blessed by a church, a local Catholic church. And the idea is, and again, this is going to sound so old school immigrant, that when you're on the road traveling from one city to another a stranger you can encounter on the road could be the devil himself mm-hmm. and you wouldn't know so the idea is this is meant to protect you from that or any of the strangers on the road that could be a danger to you it's meant to kind of keep you safe wow. i have no idea 
how much this is actually rooted with... I don't think this is, like, really a Catholic thing as much as it's just an Italian thing uh-huh. that's kind of just bled uh-huh. into the Catholic Church. Uh-huh. But, uh, and I got this as a gift from my grandmother when I turned 21. Oh, that's beautiful. Are you close to your grandparents? A little bit. The, um, my grandfather passed away mm. two years ago. Mm. Um, he did not go quietly. He was told when he was 25 years old that he had a year to live. Wow. He was a fighter. I guess. <laughs> Stubborn wow. to the very end. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we see my grandmother quite a bit. She's not the biggest fan of traveling, so it's mm-hmm. hard to get down to see her mm-hmm. since she retired out in Florida, but we see her when we can. Uh, my dad's parents, um, his uh, his parents are divorced. His dad is who knows where, kind of fell off the face of the earth. Uh, but we see my grandmother three or four times a year. Mm-hmm. They're all out in Green Bay. His whole side of the family is out wow. in Green Bay. It's really cool to see. Because growing up in... Arizona, we had no family members near us. Yeah. No one was close. So it's kind of cool now that I'm older to have this familial sense of community. So do you have siblings or are you an only child? I have a younger brother and a younger sister. Oh, how much younger? Uh, two year gaps between everyone. So two years younger than me and my brother, two years younger than him, my sister. Wow, that's good. So you you were the oldest. Did you feel like a lot of expectation on you? (laughs) Here's how my mother put it. She would jokingly say, I'm the test child. Yeah. That yeah. we can mess up on you and figure out what we're doing yeah, with the other that's two. that's so true. I but, had five, and your first one is totally a crapshoot. <laughs> <laughs> but combined with that, I've always had the more responsibility. I've always been expected to run things or mm-hmm. to keep an eye on the other two to make sure they don't do anything stupid when mom and dad are out of the house. Um, hmm. If anything... My younger brother has done a bit more growing up than I have in just being Mm self-sufficient, but I feel like I'm figuring out the real world a little faster than he has. Yeah. So it's been interesting, especially being so close in age, Mm -hmm. but being far enough where there will be these maturity gaps Mm -hmm. where for a year we drive each other insane because he sees me as a snobby adult and I see him as the idiot kid and then he grows up a little bit and it's like oh we're getting along and then yeah. rinse and repeat and rinse and repeat oh that's funny yeah so what do you think about the things that are said about millennials like um that they're lazy they're spoiled how do you feel about that they don't care about anybody but themselves do you think that's true no but I feel like something that does sum up millennials really well mm-hmm. is we're cynical mm. Uh, we live in kind of a crazy world right now. We age of the internet. Mm-hmm. I got to watch the internet become a thing. Because mm-hmm. when I was a kid, we had a park right next to my house. I would be in that park every single day, regardless of how hot out it was. The sunburn was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'd be outside all the time. I had all the kinds of toys. I had friends come over. I'd go over to their house and we'd hang out. Mm-hmm. Um... And I remember as I was getting older, rise of video games, rise of computers, rise of television, I remember watching that kind of go away. Yeah. I I, I got to watch Mm -hmm. technology happen, and I was lucky because my parents resisted and went kicking and screaming into it, where I don't even think I owned a cell phone until I was 16. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And uh, even now, I... I'm not the biggest fan of cell phones or anything like that, mm-hmm. which is kind of funny coming from an IT major. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, for me, it's just because 
why you do it on my phone, my computer can do it a million times better. Right. But uh, I'm almost like a grouchy old man in some attitudes towards things like Twitter and Facebook I'm not the biggest fan of. Yeah. So this generation you see millennials are cynical because of the internet? Because of the internet, because of the world we live in. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> because, uh, I mean, especially politics over the last 15 years, mm-hmm. 15, 20 years, it went from, I mean, we'll never see in our lifetimes another Woodward and Bernstein. Who took down Nixon. Okay. The guys who broke the Watergate scandal. Yeah. We'll never be able to see something like that again because nobody, regardless of where you fall politically, mm-hmm. you can't trust the news like you used to. Mm-hmm. It's, you can't really trust anyone like you used to. Yeah. You can't take anything at face value anymore. I think that's one of the reasons why we're so cynical. How does that affect, do you think, the way you guys see the future? Does it make it more scary? Um, more hope, less hope? Are you waiting to have your chance? Are you... I've never really looked at the future in terms of, oh, it's going to be great, or oh, it's going to be terrible. I mean, some people do definitely look at it as, mm-hmm. oh, it's going to be terrible, but I feel like the people who have that cynical world doomed view are going to be louder than the ones who mm-hmm. think it's all going to be all right. So it's hard to gauge from that perspective. Mm-hmm. But... uh I've always seen it as if I throw myself at something enough, I can achieve it. Where if I work hard enough, I can tackle it. Hmm. So So what do you think about, I've heard it being said before that the internet is where like religion goes to die. Oh, absolutely. That's not a question. Okay. And why do, what do, you, why do you think that's true? Um, do you know why that's true? One of the reasons is... Um, Catholic Church or other religious institutions, they're old as dirt at this point. Mm -hmm. And old as dirt institutions have always had a trouble keeping with the times. I mean, uh, Mm. I want to say Catholicism was doing Latin in masses until the 50s or the 60s. Mm. where They they use Latin from when the church was founded all the way to less than 100 years ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Crazy thing about... Yeah, everyone... And I mean... Of course, that's a church built on traditions. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is what we've, we're doing now. It's the same thing we did 2,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. But, so there's that. Um, the we, internet has always been a place for outsiders or people who have different ideas than what would be considered the norm or safe or normal. So. And what about fact-checking? Because like, you guys have Google in your pocket now. So. Yeah. If your pastor or priest says something, you can check it out kind of quickly, immediately. Yes, I've never looked at it like that, but... Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the Bible as a document? As a, um, <laughs> Do you feel God wrote it? Well, here's where it gets tricky. So I took a biblical analytics class mm-hmm. here at Whitewater. Oh, interesting. I had an elective to kill, mm-hmm. and I thought, ooh, that looks cool. Mm-hmm. I had a blast with it we went into like the history of all of the writings and who wrote what and where it came wow. from and how it was inspired and some of it was really dark and depressing yeah. if you <laughs> if you ever want to read something really dark in the bible go read uh it's called the wisdom of solomon mm-hmm. it's the most pessimistic thing i've ever mm-hmm. seen mm-hmm. um Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. At the end of it, he comes to this conclusion, nothing. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're all terrible. And it was like yeah. reading Thomas Hobbes, who's yeah. an Enlightenment thinker, who has a similar humanity as doomed, terrible sort of thing. But um, 
Uh, are you aware that Catholicism has a different Bible than most everyone else? Um, no. I mean, educate me. I think I kind of knew that you had an extra book, right? We have nine more. You have Thomas, right? We have... Trying to remember them all. We don't have Thomas. Oh, you don't Some have... other people have Thomas. Okay. We don't have Thomas. We have Maccabees 1 and 2. Okay. We split kings. Most everyone else didn't. Mm-hmm. We have Jude. Oh, man, I'm going to have to remember them all. <laughs> I don't know them off the top of my head. Uh, As a Catholic, did you grow up reading your Bible? Yes, but for a weird reason. Okay. Um, I ran out of reading material. Okay. I, I read like a fiend. Okay. Uh, so when I was in the fifth grade, I was like, well, this is a book. Uh-huh. Sure, why not? Never forget the look on my mother's face. Yeah. When, uh, she ran to the corner and I'm open in the old, I read it from cover to cover and I'm reading through it and she froze and looked at me and went, so, uh, what, what are you doing? I go, reading the Bible. How is it? It's pretty good so far. Wow. <laughs> she goes, where are you at? I go, I'm in Leviticus. I have no idea what's going oh on. Gosh. It's just the laws. Wow. It was such a pain to get through. But wow. it was interesting. It was really cool to see all the stories and stuff that I hear. But um, I didn't but, know until recently that you're not encouraged to read your Bible so much as Catholics, right? Uh, one of the reasons is because we do the readings mm-hmm. where we'll cover the Bible. Mm-hmm. So every Catholic, if you go to Mass, you'll basically read the Bible okay. without reading it in front of you, but yeah. you're hearing someone yeah. speak it, yeah. and then you have a priest break it down. I Taking that biblical analytics class, yeah. I understand that perspective. Because yeah. if you read uh, some of the stuff in the Bible, especially Paul's letters, yeah. at face value, because so yeah. much of what Paul wrote was a product of where he came yes. from, his culture. background, mm-hmm. culture. And Absolutely. if you don't understand that, if you go into it totally blind, mm-hmm. you're going to go, wow, he was kind of insane. Yeah, yeah. Or a woman hater. Yeah, or, or a woman hater. Yeah, yeah. Where a lot of that was Jewish tradition of how mm-hmm. Judaism did churches at the time, and he mm-hmm. was a Pharisee before he... Mm-hmm joined the apostles Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. if you don't take that context and the culture and the world into account you you lose something my biggest takeaway from that biblical analytics class was not necessarily questioning my faith but i just started asking more questions of like well why is this this way yeah that i like never would have thought to ask those kind of questions i'm very fortunate that as a nature because of my dad's work i run into a lot of priests yeah so i get to sit down and talk to them uh I work at Barnes & Noble mm-hmm. um, during the summer and the wintertime, and the Barnes & Noble is around the corner from the headquarters for the Diocese of Madison. Oh. So every morning, we get a bunch of priests coming in and getting their coffee. Yeah. So I get to sit down, because they all know me. Yeah. I sit down, and I'll ask them questions. Yeah. And I'll never forget a conversation I had with a priest and a canon lawyer. He has to know 2,000 years of church law, wow. which meant he thought regular lawyer, lawyers had it tough. Yeah. Uh, and we discussed all of the Gospels mm-hmm. and why they were written the way that they were mm. and what was going on in the world at the time that would cause them to be written the way that they were. Because chronologically, the very first one that was written, at least in today's theories, was Mark. Yeah. So that's the one that came the earliest. Well, John came a little over 100 years later Mm -hmm. when it was finally penned down. Um, 
Mark is incredibly critical of the Romans mm -hmm. and of Pontius Pilate, and it's very anti-Roman. Mm -hmm. John, which was after a hundred years of persecution mm -hmm. and death and feed them to the lions and that attitude mm -hmm. in the Roman Empire towards Christianity, was very, the Romans had nothing to do with it. Mm, interesting. And immediately after we think the book of John came out, the Roman emperor at the time ended the persecutions. Wow. The attitude changed. What a fascinating discussion yeah. to be able to have with credible sources. Yeah, it was so much fun mm -hmm. taking this class, and I learned so much, and I had to, I, I changed my perspective on a lot of things. Hmm. That's interesting, Jackson. So, I feel like a lot of people, I mean, don't sit down and read the Bible. I recommend it to everyone just because, in my mind, regardless of whether you're in the faith or not, mm -hmm. I don't think it's a question that's the most influential mm -hmm. written work in the world. There's a case to be made for uh, the Quran, yeah. but there's a lot more mm -hmm. Christians out there. Mm -hmm. And just, even if you're not Christian, the effects the Bible have had on the mm -hmm. world just from a Mm -hmm. setting up government, law, everything mm -hmm. like that, mm -hmm. how it was used to teach people how to read, how it mm -hmm. passed on knowledge, everything that's done in history. Something that, even if you're a staunch atheist, take a look at it. It's mm -hmm. just an interesting thing that mankind has had for most of our history. Mm -hmm. And didn't you say once you'd consider being a priest? I thought about it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I seriously consider it. Um, it's a special calling, definitely. Mm -hmm. It's a unique and special calling that not everyone can have, and I realize that um, I don't have the calling, which is just fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of a side effect was at the time I met a girl and fell head over heels in love. Yeah, there so you go. That that'll kind of do happened. it. But that was one of the moments where I realized if something like that can happen, yeah. I don't think... Um, I don't think the life of a priest is for me. How about the Pope? How do you feel about the Pope? I love the Pope. I love the Pope, he's too. A, he's a fascinating I guy. I love the Pope. And it's funny, the first year or so that he... I was just fascinated, like, mm -hmm. obsessed with the Pope. And then um, his eyes just look so... Like, you wouldn't have to tell me that man knows God. I felt like you can look at him and know that he knows God. Like, mm -hmm. he, he has the love of God in his eyes and his face and his countenance. Yeah. And then when I first heard him speak and it wasn't English, I was <laughs> kind of put off because I felt like I knew him just from yeah. looking at all these pictures and mm -hmm. reading what he was saying. And, and then when I heard him speak in, I suppose, Italian? Or what would he I suppose Either Italian or Latin. Kind yeah, of it was kind of like... I it was strange because I, I felt like I knew him but yet I couldn't hear what yeah. he said and I love the stories of him you know breaking out in the middle of the night and <laughs> driving homeless or security yeah, insane and believes that you know if he gets killed he won't do the Pope Mobile because it's his time and you know he's just <laughs> that he used to be a bouncer at a bar I heard yeah and um just that he didn't want to be the Pope I thought was beautiful like they went to him and they said you know you're the new one and he was like no and I always feel like you're That's probably the right for it's the job. exactly like leadership is recognized, not um, you know forced upon people. And and when 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 people recognize in him something <coughs> worth following, I thought that was beautiful. And it resonates with even me, a non-Catholic. I just find him to be an incredible, beautiful man mm -hmm. who um, stands 
for what is right, you know. Yeah. And um, I also am lucky to have a father that serves the poor, and for the last 45 years has had a ministry um, affecting thousands of people. And um, I've watched my dad do things the Pope gets accused of, and uh, it's beautiful. Yeah. And um, I consider that a rich legacy to grow up watching people put their faith in action. Yeah. And I, uh, I can see that you do that too when you speak of your dad and mom. And it's lovely. Uh, do you know why he picked the name Francis? Oh, first of all, do you know that his name is not Francis? Yes, I do know that. Okay. And he picked it because of St. Francis. Yeah, right? um, every single pope will choose their mm-hmm. name based on a saint that they want yeah. to emulate. Mm-hmm. Hence why there have been a dozen Pope Gregory's, seven or eight Alexander's. Okay. I think he's the very first Pope Francis. Wow. But wanting to emulate... Uh, Francis of Assisi. Fra- right? Francis of Assisi, who yeah. was fabulously wealthy and gave it all up for the church, yeah. lived in extreme poverty and traveled around. Was it Italy? I want to say it was Italy, right? I don't know. I don't know a lot. I'm trying to remember. Uh, traveled around saying masses to towns, and they would mm-hmm. feed him and put mm-hmm. him up at night mm-hmm. is something else. Humble. Yeah, humble it's really humble. It's really beautiful. I know, again, we, you know, my family hasn't grown up a lot in Catholicism, and so my son Josiah one time heard me say St. Francis of Ass, but I pronounced it Assisi, <laughs> and, and um, Josiah goes, why would they call a man of God a sissy? <laughs> it's kind of cute. I was like, oh, I think mom's saying it wrong. I think it's a sissy, but... Yeah, there's a great quote out of the book of Luke. Yeah. Um, I'm so scared I'm going to butcher this. Uh, Let the greatest among you mm. be as the youngest, the leader yeah. is the servant. Yeah, yeah. And he emulates that oh, he so does. beautifully. He does. And um, he takes risks to still represent the gospel, mm-hmm. which I don't see a lot in Christendom today, so I think it's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Jackson, for sharing your heart and life with me. And um I'm glad we got to meet. Yeah. And uh, this is beautiful. Yeah, thanks for having me in here. It was a lot of fun to talk. Thank you.